Hello and welcome back to Horror from the High Desert. I am your host, Scotty Milder, and my guest this week is Sam Rebeline. Sam holds an MFA in creative writing from Goddard College with a focus on horror and memoir. His work has appeared in Bourbon Pen, The Dread Machine, Coffin Bell Journal, Press Paws Press, Ellen Datlow's Best Horror of the Year, the Stoker Award-nominated anthology Human Monsters, and elsewhere. Sam's debut horror novel, Edenville, is out now from William Morrow. His follow-up collection of stories set in the same fictional universe, The Poorly Made and Other Things, is coming for you in early 2025. Sam currently lives in Poughkeepsie, New York, with two very old dogs. For pictures of their sweet, stinky little faces and updates about Sam's work, follow him on Instagram at rebelsam94. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast, please go to whatever streaming platform you're using, give me a five-star review, uh, click the subscribe button, tell your friends, and here we go with Sam Rebeline. So I never am 100% sure how to pronounce your last name. Is it Rebeline? It is. Rebeline. Rebeline, yeah. Rebeline. Okay, I'm here with yeah. Sam Rebeline, author of the very recently released novel Edenville, which I do want to I do want to talk about here in a minute, but I kind of want to start with a short story of yours. So it's okay. in a, a pile of bodies, pile of heads, which is from Sinister Smile <laughs> Press, <laughs> Yeah. Um, which I've worked with those guys a bunch. And the story is uh, One Big Cry for Help. Yeah. That, I... That's one of the most unsettling short stories I've read in a really long time. Oh, thank you, man. And it got at something. So go ahead and just like set up what the story is, and then we'll talk about (laughs) it. (laughs) So I I guess a good setup would be talking about sort of the seed for the idea and sort of the emotion behind Mm -hmm. that that led into this character. Because I really like this character. Mm -hmm. And I wish that he had somewhere else to go besides this short story. But I think he's kind of a just a one short, one and done. (laughs) Yeah. So I, you know, was looking at Halloween decorations at Home Depot or wherever I was. And they had like bags of doll heads. And I was Mm. like, this is the craziest most beautiful thing i've ever seen which like <laughs> i think in general halloween decorations are starting to hit that point where they're just yeah. like fuck it what's the most ins- a sack of doll heads you know um, <laughs> right. so i started stringing them up um around the neighborhood and no one said anything to me uh, which i was really <laughs> pumped about but um so that made me start thinking about you know other places the doll heads could show up and and other things that could happen with them and I was also listening to a lot of lo-fi at the time those like Mm. lo-fi playlists you know and they usually have some kind of graphic um on the YouTube video or whatever and so I'd been listening to this Halloween one a lot and just sort of put the two together and thought well who is this guy who's obsessed with doll heads and loves creepy lo-fi what can I do with that yeah and so the story is about him, uh, this guy, he's um, very exactly, I think he's a junior in high school and he's, or maybe a sophomore, but either mm-hmm. way, he he's sort of by himself. Like he had one right. good friend growing up and then that friend moved away. And yeah, moved to like Tanzania guys, or something. <laughs> like, yeah, so like really moved away, you right. know. And so he's by himself and it's about him spending time by himself and what's that, and what that's like for him and he has this free period with like one other dude. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in mm-hmm. high school, but I had like free periods where it was you and just one other dude in the library or whatever. Right. And you're like, we're never going to speak, but <laughs> I appreciate our time together. <laughs> um, 
and so it, it goes from there and it, the guy sort of seems like he's creepy we don't know and mm-hmm. the doll heads play a big role and um, mm-hmm. yeah i think that's all i can say without really getting yeah i definitely it. don't want to spoil it um what i really responded to with that story uh, one other thing i think we can say that i think is not a spoiler because it comes up early in the story is that there are there have been like some kids who have like gone missing in the area yes <laughs> yeah which he sort of offhandedly mentions, which I, I think is the real way to set up any kind of like mm-hmm. real information or, or real exposition is just be like, oh, and by the way, don't look at that thing or whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, whatever <laughs> yeah. But what, what I what I loved about the story, and this kind of one gets to the, just because I want to like talk about like how you grew up and got into horror and stuff, is I really responded to this idea. Like, and it got me thinking about, and I just reread it this morning. Morning. I'd read it um oh, cool. probably a year or two ago and then and then I reread it this morning because I knew I wanted to talk about it. But it got at this idea of, that I've had of like I was the weird kid for sure growing up. Yeah. Like yeah. and I did I, I would had... say yeah, like not I'm not surprised. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like me too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like... I mean, I think almost any of us who like end up doing what we're doing <laughs> probably were on <laughs> some level. <laughs> we were weird at some point. We were weird sure. at some yeah. point. And like I did have some friends who would kind of come in and out of my life, you know, some would move away, you know, and some I stayed friends with, you know, I've got some friends from high school that I'm friends with to this day, you know. But yeah, it occurred to me reading your story that like the stakes are higher when you're a weird kid trying to make friends because if you're like Mm -hmm. if you're like the you know the quote-unquote normal kid who's like on the football team or on the cross-country team or like i don't know even like works for the school yearbook or in the marching band like you have this ready-made group that you tend to draw your friends from right yeah but if you're like the weird loner kid like how are you gonna you know you're not going to after school activities like you know and so like the only other (laughs) kids available are other weird loner kids like how do you cross that bridge you know and i just i remember like making friends with kids when i was younger and being like okay i know i'm weird but like you're real weird and like are you too weird (laughs) well because that's always the balance right yeah you try to make friends with some of the weird kids who are like sort of weird and nerdy but smart enough that you can engage with them and i Mm -hmm. feel like that's a lot of the difficulty that i've had making friends because i don't know where that balance is necessarily and then you start spending time with people who like all of a sudden are like showing you weird collections of their old boogers or something you know like just like oh god i'm nowhere near the edge (laughs) yeah i thought it was you know and i did like i made friends with some kids that like pretty quickly i was like i don't like you actually kind of scare me a little yeah and it's hard to back off from that i think if you're breaking up with a significant other it's it's nice and clear you're like well i don't think we should date anymore but a friend you're like Mm-hmm. it's sort of a nebulous thing you know yeah. how do you cut that off it, it's a i think it's a weirder and harder conversation um than just like a normal breakup right and it's like you know i remember because i remember like the kids who played football and stuff and like they were like friends but then they would fight they get like fit they'd be drunk at a party and fight over some girl or whatever you know but it's like <laughs> but they were all on this like kind of equal footing because they're all on the football team together you know or yeah. whatever and then, but like for the rest of us, it was like if we lose the one weird friend we have, like where do we go? Like where's the bottom of the rabbit hole? You know, so right. like that in that aspect of the story, like really 
stuck with me because I haven't felt, you know, by the time I got to high school, I kind of, I was still weird when I started owning my weirdness. And the Mm -hmm. thing I realized is the more I just kind of leaned into it, actually people liked that. And then I started making friends and I've not really had a hard time making friends in the years since. But what I really remember is like middle school, just how weird and lonely and fraught that was. And like, yeah, well, I, that that story really just. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, please, go ahead. I was going to say, that story really just, like, tumbled me back into that experience, you know? Nice. Well, I'm I'm sorry, but I'm also glad, I guess, because um, <laughs> it's sort of the point. But yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I moved around a lot in middle school, which I think heightened that feeling, too. Like, my, mm-hmm. my dad is a professor and wanted to take a sabbatical back to Minnesota. Our whole family's from Minnesota, both sides. And so for seventh grade, I spent this one random year in Minnesota and it was just the worst. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think seventh grade is a huge developmental year. I was a, I felt like a monster because I grew like Mm -hmm. a foot that year. And so I was just all of a sudden covered in these stretch marks and I had no reason to try to make friends because I was going to move back to New York at the end of the year. And Mm -hmm. my New York friends had like, moved on sort of without me and were making their own new friends and things like that so mm-hmm. i think those couple of years from seventh grade through like 10th grade because then i switched schools when i came back mm-hmm. and it was just a lot of sort of social like up and down you know yeah. sort of turmoil so yeah those those times are particularly hard and that story especially is like 10th grade me who is just so I guess bitter after those few years about making friends and like mm-hmm. being in a new environment yet again. And it was a huge school that I moved to as well. Like I was in right. this very small private school. It was like 20 kids per grade and then moved to huge public school where all of a sudden it was like 650 wow. kids in a grade. That's, um, that's a culture shock. So, <laughs> yeah. And add to that, you're 15, right? Mm-hmm. So you're just like, this fucking sucks. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I definitely, that is definitely in that story. Mm-hmm. But it's also strangely a time in my life that I find myself emotionally sort of going back to because there were mm-hmm. lots of times then when I felt very cozy and comforted by stories that felt as dark as I felt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I really got into the Saw movies around that time and. I think something about the worldview in those films was just like mm-hmm. spoke to me on a subconscious level. Everything's rusted over, like every bathroom is shittier than the last, you know. Um, yeah. And uh and you, have some, something... you have some of that aesthetic in Edenville kind of pops up. Yeah, there's a, a saw trap or two in Edenville for <laughs> sure. I mean the, the bleeder is is saw yeah, for, through and through. That is um, very saw. I mean, it's actually a lot weirder uh, than saw, but I now that you say it, I can see that. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Like, yeah. and I, I'm I'm older than you, so like my references are kind of more '90s. But like, I, it was the mm-hmm. same thing for me, and I had the same thing. I got real big real fast. You know, I think you and sure. I were both about the same size. We were, uh, were probably like six foot four, you know, or yeah, well over six foot, kind of. I very recently. It- it like finally accepted my big and tallness. I was doing the like, <laughs> stitch fix questionnaire and they were like, do you want to shop big and tall sizes? Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, 
Yeah. Yes. Short. I finally, yeah, I had the same <laughs> thing where it was, for me, the transition was just accepting that I need a triple X t-shirt, not a double X. Like, yeah. it was just like, you know, I'm just going to be that guy with the triple X t-shirt. Got to pay the, yeah. like, two extra dollars or whatever for it. But like, I'm not going to work out more or eat less than I currently <laughs> yeah. do. So. Exactly. But I remember that feeling of just feeling like a monster when I was sort of seventh, eighth grade, right? I hit, I think, six foot in the eighth grade yeah and like no other boys in my class were big like me i mean there's maybe one or two others but yeah and i had like greasy hair yeah and glasses yeah. so i i looked like i was i mean people told me that i looked like i was 40 you know the yeah. other kids were like <laughs> great yeah I mean, I just remember feeling like Frankenstein's monster just lurching around and like, and was like, not only was I big, but I was also like super not athletic. So it was like, I remember the football coaches in particular, the gym teachers being real disgusted with me because it's like, you look like you should play football. But then when I got the same the football at you, you run away from it. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I don't know how to deal with this fucking, it's not even a ball. Like, how do you throw this thing? Weird oval. Um, (laughs) i got the same thing i've like all my uh gym teachers were like you have such broad shoulders why don't you play football Mm -hmm. because i a i don't know how to play and to this day i still don't understand i never i mean i kind of know i can watch (laughs) a football game and sort of follow it but yeah yeah downs yards yeah i don't know right but uh but yeah, and I think those are sort of one of the main pathways that everybody talks about where when you're watching those, I think, movies that are more accessible to like, like last night, I just saw The Haunting for the first time, that mm. 1963, Robert Wise. Yeah, and that's I love brilliant. That yeah. Oh my God, so fucking good. And just captured Haunting of Hill House, like the original novel, the, everything about it, I think they just captured so well. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't have appreciated that in high school. You know, mm-hmm. no, now as an adult, I can like engage with it intellectually. But like the movies that you like turn to that are more accessible are like slashers or like mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, 90s, like Scream was big yeah. for you at some for, point. Right? The big one for me early, probably like freshman year of high school was Candyman. Oh, then, okay. Yeah. And then Scream came. Scream was, I believe... It was either, I think it might have come out my freshman year of college. Okay. And so that I was like, I feel like those are like bookends of my like, because the 90s was like a weirdly not great decade for horror, <laughs> but yeah. there were these flashes of brilliance, you know? Yeah. And Candyman and so think, was probably the big one for me. Which um, I think like feeds into my point exactly that if you feel like a monstrous kid when you're in that space and watching those movies where it's the Mm -hmm. dichotomy is very clear between there are the jasons and then there are the hot teenagers Mm -hmm. and as someone who never felt like a hot teenager you're going to identify i think more with jason you get that feeling of like yeah fuck them up you know right right i definitely (laughs) went through that i definitely went through that phase of like my sympathy not that i was ever like genuinely like gonna be like you know i'm gonna go stab some popular kids or anything but like (laughs) yeah right but like watching movies there was definitely a period of time where i was much more sympathetic to the serial killer than the like the teenagers (laughs) yeah i was much more on michael meyer side or jason's side (laughs) and i think it Um, depends i mean Candyman, i think is a good example too because mm -hmm. that's like 
the monster is sort of sexy and so you can identify mm-hmm. with him but like still in your 17 year old brain be like well i could still get with virginia madsen you know right. even though i'm full of bees um <laughs> but <laughs> yeah so i don't know i've been thinking about that a lot because then i was watching the um the fear street trilogy that came out a couple years ago oh yeah um, i haven't seen those i heard good things about them though Oh, I think they're so brilliant. And there's a bit where the killer is about to kill a really nerdy kid. And my brain like broke for a second. I was like, I don't know who I I'm the nerdy kid. But I also still sort of feel like the monster who wants who's like angry towards the Mm -hmm. popular kids. And so it was just a really interesting Mm -hmm. sort of subconscious moment where I was like, oh, I don't know who I want to have come out of this you know um, that's interesting so. and that, that, it's still, that feels like that carries over a little bit in the edenville with um cam sure yeah but i want i still want to like before we get there i just want to talk just a little bit more about it sounds like you and i had kind of a similar way into horror kind of this identification with you know weird sort of disaffected nerdy kids and so you know the <laughs> Yeah, that kind of just opens the door into being like the other thing for me it was just like knowing like when you're just the weird kid and you kind of sure. know you're the weird kid like there's no one policing what you're into because like if you're the popular kid you have to be into the popular movie. i remember because i actually had some friends yeah. that i grew up with who like kind of ended up more in the like the jock realm and then they all had to dress the same they all had to listen to the same music they all yeah you know, it was like they were constantly like they could not break out of the mold you know yeah and like no one gave a fuck what i was doing so i was like yeah i'll be some yeah. weird eighth grader in 1990 who's like obsessed with frank zappa for some reason you know like <laughs> um, yeah and, and so it allows you just to like i actually wouldn't trade that experience for anything because i think it just like allows you to be as weird as you want to be when you yeah, can think... stop trying not to be so what were some of the yeah. like the other weird just early on influences that kind of set you on the path that you ended up on um, well, Saw was a big one for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's spot on that there's no one policing you. And so you can kind of turn to your own. It sounds weird to call them like idols or like mm-hmm. models or whatever. But, you know, again, Saw was big, I think, just for the mere fact that like Jigsaw's whole arc is like, well, I fucking got cancer. So I'm going to show you, mm-hmm. um, which right. is you know that sort of 15 year old brain in a nutshell well and then um, and then he weirdly like develops like these like acolytes from the people that he like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the idea that you could think like that and and still have followers yeah. um, is i guess sort of fascinating but so that was a big one i think the first horror movie that really had the impact on me that was like, oh, I need more of this was mm. Blair Witch Project. Mm. I had seen horror movies here and there. I was a big sci-fi kid, so I really liked... I read a bunch of the like classics. I did Asimov, um, mm, some Silverberg. Yeah. Right. Um, the Forever War was a huge one for me. I love okay. that book. I've heard... I uh, See, I didn't read a lot of sci I realized something weird about myself is that I tend to watch a, almost more sci-fi than I watch horror movies, but then I read horror oh, more than I read sci-fi. So it's, I'm not sure why. So there's all these sci-fi books that I've never read that I really I need to get to because The Forever War is one that comes up a lot conversation yeah that that one has horrific uh imagery in it throughout that i think you would really dig but Mm. so 
yeah, I was a big sci-fi guy, which I guess is also not surprising. Read Edenville. I see a lot of reviews that are like, this has science fiction in it. And I'm like, yeah, mm. cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, what were some early... I, I think I wasn't really like paying attention to being into horror until college when I finally was like, all right, we got to read some of this Stephen King guy. It, mm-hmm. He's written so many books. Everybody talks about him. And so Carrie, I think, was the first horror novel that I ever really sat down with. Um, mm-hmm. And that wasn't until I was like 19. But I read like Lovecraft. I, I read through a lot of the Cthulhu mythos in high school. Mm-hmm. Was that kind of goes along with the sci-fi? Yeah, it's and, you know, I think moreover, it was other types of media that had gotten me into horror that I started reading horror off of. Like there were Lovecraft, there were video games based on the Cthulhu mythos that I really mm-hmm. enjoyed because I was a huge fan and, and still am of survival horror. Yeah. So I I played, you know, this was like, what, 2007? I, I played Dead Space and I was like, holy shit, what else can I do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and got really into, um, I don't know if you're a big video game guy, but I got really into the fear games. Oh, okay. Those? Yeah, I don't play a lot of video games, but I weirdly have like a lot of friends who do so i'll sit and watch them play sure. video games <laughs> so it's <laughs> like counts. i've never played silent hill but i've watched a bunch oh of sure hill and i kind of love it so yeah silent hills i didn't get into silent hill until later as well mm-hmm. but the fear games if listeners if you can find a copy of like fear and it's like an acronym it's like first encounter assault recon right I <laughs> can, yeah i kind of remember those yeah what, um, what platform was that for that was I played them on PC, but I guess you could do Xbox. I think the second okay. one came out on Xbox. That was um, insane. I didn't think there were PlayStation. No. But yeah, so those are big. And so there were Call of Cthulhu games that I played. And I started to get into some of the lore and went on the forums online. And of course, you know, there were guys on the forums mm-hmm. who were like, well, if you haven't read the stories, you're not a real blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I was like, All right. I always get those assholes, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I started actually reading them. And I remember the first Lovecraft I ever read was Rats in the Walls, which mm. um, is just unbelievable um that's one of my i mean it's got some unfortunate racial stuff in there but um yeah if you can get past that i think it's it's one of his absolutely scariest short stories yeah i think just the idea that there can be something big underneath the house Mm -hmm. um which i guess in a way is like sort of a racially tied anxiety as well that like the idea of you know all of the bodies of the slaves who built the whatever mm. i don't know like the the idea of history being a massive thing that can come and bite you in the ass i think is a right. scary thing too well that's the thing about subterranean horror that can be so powerful is you know the you know it's right beneath our feet kind of feel of like there's yeah. this more primal primitive roiling kind of dangerous world right beneath us you know yeah and, and again you've got some of that in, in edenville for sure yeah. What was it about the Blair? So how old were you when, you when you saw the Blair Witch Project? I was 13. Um, what was it about that one that really... Well, I guess my first question is, were you one of the people who believed that it was a true story, or did you know that it was <laughs> a fiction? Um, I knew it was fiction, but I got into it, again, sort of an offshoot of something else. I was really into Cloverfield and the alternate 
reality game that they were doing around Cloverfield mm. in 2007, which had been sort of a thing before, you know, J.J. Abrams. It was a J.J. Abrams project, and he had done this whole, like, arc with Lost. Um, mm. You know, people were finding clues on candy bars and shit. And so I was talking about this in class, and uh, ironically, my history teacher was like, well, have you heard of this other, mm. you know, similar kind of deal, Blair Witch Project? And so I just thought it was so fascinating how media could blend into the real world like that that mm -hmm. you did have people who believed it was real and it's sort of a one-time thing i mean you could go into the blair witch project in the theaters and think oh this is this it might actually be real footage and now that they've done that once no movie will ever be able to do that again yeah i remember because i was that that movie came out my senior year of college and mm -hmm. i had known about it for a year or something before it wow. came out because yeah, i was reading about it in fangoria and you know <laughs> sure yeah you know, so it's like the horror fans mostly knew that it was fictional but there, I remember going to see it in the theater, and there were all the TV specials about it, and and there was the website, which was all the missing, you know, <laughs> oh, set up yeah. like a missing, you know, database. And yeah. I definitely knew people who fell for it, and I was like, I was, I was, you know, watching it in real time. I was fascinated by the approach to, you know, both kind of playing with reality and people's perception of reality, and like. Yeah. You know, playing with the idea that, like, some people are going to actually believe this is a true story. But if you even get past that, it was just this great approach to world building. I yeah. thought, it, like, what I was really impressed with with Blair Witch at the time, I thought the movie was cool. I liked the movie. But actually, I liked everything around the movie almost as much. I like, you know, there was the TV sci-fi channel documentary about it. And it, oh, it, the documentary freaks me out. It, the documentary, I think, has some images. They, they do some, like, you know, quote-unquote artists rendering of the witch mm -hmm. and some of those images freaked me out more than the stuff in the actual movie but the movie does that trick too that i was saying earlier that the real exposition is sort of offhanded you know it's right. the one woman with her like toddler who's like well i heard you know it wasn't a witch at all but this like pedophile guy who would make one person stand in the corner and like okay weird <laughs> I believe... um, but then at the very end yeah I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember if it's her, but I know one of the people, because the way they had those interviews is they had, a, like, they just sent the actors out there and were like, go talk to people in this town. And, yeah. like, two of them were plants or something. Oh, interesting. So I think, like, the guy who tells a lot of history was, like, a plant. But I believe that woman just made, like, she was just some random person and she just made a bunch of shit up wow okay and they could not track her down later they wanted to find her and like get her to sign like a release form <laughs> and they oh, could not find her but they ended up using a lot of what she just like just bullshit in the yeah. actual movie <laughs> i think it's great <laughs> yeah and that's um, like such great storytelling too to get the information sort of on the front end and yeah. have that on the back of your mind and then just to have the image at the end without any context or explanation and you have to do the work of putting the two together right be like oh my god that's why he's in the corner you know that's it's just so good yeah, yeah that was i love that movie <laughs> um well let's go ahead and get into edenville so i gotta say awesome. so edenville it's your it's your first i believe it's your first novel right yes yeah, I think and, so too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it came out when? Just in the last uh, few months. Yeah, um, just on October 3rd. So October 3rd, okay. I have to say, it's one of the craziest goddamn things I've ever read. 
I absolutely awesome. loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And like one thing I don't want to spoil anything about, it, but one thing I will say is that like you start reading it and you have no idea how fucking batshit it's going to get, <laughs> but you earn every twist and every new revelation and every just upping the ante every time it gets weirder and crazier and more surreal every moment is earned i felt like and i felt like i was reading it i was like what are the influences on this i was like well i think there's some obvious stephen king i definitely can see the sci-fi influence i felt like there was some clive barker i felt like uh i can see the blair witch influence in a way there's some folk horror in there and then i i would even like wonder if like something like the never-ending story made it in there like just talk a little bit about where that came from because it is such a unique i found it to be a really unique experience reading it thank you yeah i i think i just love stories that have a broad scope i think Mm -hmm. you know with a lot of stories uh, you hit a point somewhere along the way where you realize this is going to be a small story the opening Mm -hmm. image and the ending image aren't going to be that far apart which is fine but i well like even uh even the story we were talking about the uh big cry for help is there's something very perfectly contained about it like you said you could do something more with that character but there's also something like that's just like perfectly encapsulated in that one little story yeah he's just gonna keep walking up and down the same street you know right (laughs) exactly but i love those stories where the opening and ending are just so far removed from each other i think Mm -hmm. those were a lot of the sort of cheaply made early 2000s horror movies that i love as well they're in like a it's a small setup you know everyone's stuck in like a hotel room this is not a specific example but like i can't think of a good one um (laughs) but like everyone is stuck in a hotel room and they don't know how they got there and they're trying to figure it out and then by the end they've unearthed the vast conspiracy that's running experiments on people and has mm-hmm. hotel rooms across the world and it's run by aliens and shit <laughs> and you know it's so that's the kind of craziness that i love where it starts very contained and then just explodes outward well, it's a thing um, like i talk about you know because i teach film and uh, i'm a filmmaker as well and like you see this in certain movies and filmmakers, like I think of Paul Thomas Anderson this way. I think my mm. favorite movie of all time is Apocalypse Now. Oh, same. And it's these movies that yeah. like they're bursting at the seams. Like any Paul Thomas Anderson movie is going to have probably three ideas too many. And that's what <laughs> makes them so great yeah. is because like there's something like the movie can't contain everything he wants, you know, yeah. that he's thinking at the time. And like you watch a movie like Apocalypse Now, and I mean, that movie's just teetering on the brink of total collapse from like almost the first frame yeah and yet it's still it just it grows and grows into this thing and i feel like i can definitely see that in something like even though that that same like you're not you're not putting any limits artificial limits on yourself and you're just kind of like taking a big wild swing at this thing yeah i think the only limit that i had because we queried so um the short story collection um that i wrote Mm -hmm. that's stories around renfield county and Mm -hmm. i wrote that first and was querying that around but it's very difficult to sell a collection especially from a debut author so i know i'm I'm in that place right now (laughs) yeah well 
Godspeed. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I said, you know, I've got some novel ideas that take place in the same world. And I have this one that I think will be first, but I get halfway through a draft and I just get bored of it. So I like don't have a full draft. But if I wrote a novel, this would be the first one. Yeah. Um, and so they were like, well, we'll buy that and the collection. And okay. so it was nerve wracking to write the novel because I was like, I've never finished. I've done like full drafts of novels before, but then just like, drawered them you know right. I'm like i don't want to look at that again at uh, least you clarify when you say that the stories are set in renfield county edenville is also set in renfield county so there's a there's yes, that connection yeah. there yeah yeah and so there's a scene when quinn one of the main characters in edenville goes to the library and goes mm-hmm. through this box of emails the through line in the short story collection will be the woman sending those emails and so mm. between every story it'll be another email and the stories will relate to some of the things that she's talking about. So you'll get a better sense of the history of the county and the actual like Renfield murders themselves. There are some details about that massacre that I think. Oh, okay. Because I haven't read the like, collection yet. So now I'm excited to yeah. dive into that. Well, so that'll come out early 2025. Yeah. Um, and uh, that I'm really excited for that one. You know, Edenville has opened a lot of doors and been really great but the collection i was working on for for years and mm-hmm. i feel really really proud of so i'm excited to share that one well and i love this idea so it's something i talked about with some of the other authors i've had on here when you're kind of a regional author in some way i know you're like sort of mm-hmm. new york upstate new york uh, yeah. i'm uh new mexico and new mexico and the southwest the four corners really like seeps into a lot of my work you know sure but i talked to douglas ford who's got a kind of a similar thing he's got his Sorry, county mm. stories in florida yeah what is it about like capturing that sense of place because I, that's one thing i felt like i felt the and i know upstate new york's not exactly new england but having lived in boston for a while it had that like new england horror feel to me yeah um it felt like just so specific how do you go about capturing that sense of place hmm i think it's for me all about capturing the humor of it mm-hmm. there are so many strange idiosyncrasies and things about the Hudson Valley that I love that I think people don't necessarily always pay attention to like a lot of the sort of more bizarre or cartoony names from Renfield County of like street names or mm-hmm. things like that are pulled or somehow like melted a little bit from pieces Mm. of of things that i've seen around the hudson valley like there's a a road called hard scrabble road and Mm. so you know driving around just sort of pocket names like that and then that became the um richard p hard scrat (laughs) alumni (laughs) house at edenville but i feel like even like details like that everywhere quinn goes it's just like some little old lady some very friendly little old <laughs> yeah. like that yeah. feels very small town upstate new york to me and then yeah. where you go with that is so much fun and like definitely definitely have a twist <laughs> yeah and that that you know the neighborhood that i live in now i was living in brooklyn when the pandemic started and so moved back upstate with my mom and then moved to Texas for a bit and moved back to New York. And when I moved back to New York, I was like, let me just settle here for a minute. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's sort of nice to be here with my mom. You know, she's getting up there. And so it's nice to just right. have more time with her. And our dogs are also very old. So mm-hmm. 
it's nice like we've got the one dog who's having trouble sitting down and whatever and so it's sort of nice to just be like let me just be here until things sort of settle whatever yeah but uh the whole neighborhood is filled with old ladies yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's you know all these modular homes and so they're relatively affordable and they just sort of attract right. the older generation and so that was sort of my landscape for a lot of the pandemic mm. and i i love them all and they love the book too i gave a reading yesterday that the <laughs> uh <laughs> the two women who live across the street from me who inspired the librarians oh, um, in okay. Eatonville, they came to <laughs> to a reading yesterday and i read that scene and they just loved it they that's, they, like, that's great <laughs> thought it was so fun yeah. but i think that's that's one of those things that just like it's whatever around you just sort of seeps into the work um yeah. and it's not necessarily always things that you find terrifying like i love my neighbors you know right but it's just that oppressiveness of whatever is around you all of the time you just mm -hmm. have to talk about or write about like well, just I get love... it out a little bit Taking something benign, like, you know, you've got these neighbors, like little old lady neighbors, you know, who yeah. you know, obviously you're friendly with and everything, but still having the imagination to like, let's see where, what crazy direction I can take that. Because it definitely, again, <laughs> without wanting to spoil anything, that was one of those uh, twists that I was like, well, that was, that's not where I thought that was going. So <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And then I, I do, you kind of mentioned capturing the humor. Like, this is nothing I want people to understand about Edenville. It's like, it's crazy, big, sprawling, pretty damn scary in some spots. You've got some really good, horrific imagery. And it's also really funny. You have the use of a iPhone Notes app that had me cackling. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, good. I'm, I'm so glad. Thank you. It was just such a throwaway little joke, but it was so perfect. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that and i did that myself because i i like closed my eyes and, tried to <laughs> type it, and i was like what would this really look like and it's just nonsense yeah and i love that the other character looks at it and goes great great <laughs> like, <whatever>. yeah. <laughs> yeah how do you yeah. like and you know this is one of those questions where i think the answer may be obviously just like i don't know you just do it but like how do you think about that balance between humor and horror and fantasy inside like you've got a lot of elements how do you consciously try to balance them or do you just kind of go with your gut um, i i think I go with my gut. I try to think of how well the piece is breathing. You know, if I have, because I think very cinematically, I, I talk about film a lot when I talk about my writing influences and I started in scripts. I wrote plays for a long time and okay. did sketch comedy through uh, college and did a lot of theater in high school. So my brain is just sort of geared towards like, dialogue and stage uh -huh. direction and making sure that the beats all flow very well so i think that's the main thing that i pay attention to if it's starting to get really really dark and dark and dark how can i make sure that it doesn't sink too far like what's the next uh -huh. like up note that i can play sure but also how would i think most of the humor in edenville comes from the characters reacting in ways that i would find natural like something supernatural happens and if i'm in that situation because i read so much horror i'm always looking for things to exist right yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that i can someday see something otherworldly even if it's only sure. for a split second before the thing you know gores me or whatever right. um, 
not that I'm hoping to get gored, but I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of the humor comes from that. Like, how would I, instead of having that sort of cliche character thing of like, oh my goodness, I can't believe there are vampires or whatever, just to immediately be like, okay, so here's what we got to do. And like, yeah. here's how I react, you know? So I don't know how well I articulated that. Yeah, but no, I think of... I, I think I kind of felt because like, so I'm writing a vampire novel right now. And, you know, when, when the vampire character is revealed to the other character as what she is, I didn't want the, you know, that moment of like, you know, the non-vampire being confused or shocked about like, what is this? It's like everyone, yeah. we've all seen vampire movies. So it's more like, okay, so like, is the like, is the sunlight thing real? You know, it's like more that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> Because yeah. it's like, you know, we've all grown up in this world where we all know vampires, we all know, you know, these things. So it's like, mm-hmm. and and I think you're right. And that's one thing I love about both Cam and Quinn as characters mm-hmm. is, you know, the horror fans in their own way. Cam's obviously a horror writer. And there's a part of them that want, like, they want to be in the horror story. You know? Yeah. Like, I always say, I like, think... I went to, I went to uh, Loch Ness years ago. Oh, nice. And you can tell yourself that you don't believe in the monster. But if you get on a boat, you're going to be looking for the monster. Like, yeah. every time a bird was flapping off in the distance, I was like, what's that? Is that the monster? You know, it's like yeah. you're always, you know, if you're if you're the type of people we are, I think you're always kind of looking for that. Well, and I think, you know, I went to church for years. My, my dad was a big church guy. And for years of Sundays, standing there, worshiping something intangible, I just hit a point when I was like 12, which, which, you know, was the beginning of my years getting into horror. It's like, well, okay, if we're gonna, I'm doing all this work for you, like, where are you, you know, and horror always offers something tangible, even if it's, I I mean, now I'm thinking of The Haunting just last night, which is psychological, intangible, whatever, but I think in a way it offers you the chance to see something otherworldly or supernatural in a concrete way, even uh-huh. if it's terrifying, which I think I just engage with so yeah. well. And that is one of the central questions of Edenville. Like, okay, you're in this space where you can see something from another world, but it might hurt you. Do you go down the stairs or not? Right. And it's not just that you're, you know, it's like the, the cliche horror character. It's like, well, it's because they're stupid. And it's like, you know, it's, right. you know, they don't see the threat. What's fascinating about Edenville is that they see the threat, but they but they kind of can't help themselves, you know. <laughs> and we should say for yeah. anyone who hasn't read the book yet, give us just the like the the broad plot setup. All right. So Page one, we open with this nightmare that Cam has. And when he wakes up from this nightmare, he has this strange goo in his eye. And so he can kind of tell that this is not your ordinary nightmare. But the the idea comes very easily. He takes this nightmare and turns it into a whole novel. Anytime he sits down to write it, he still has this weird eye goo. But he doesn't care because he's finally got a book idea that he can publish and... So he publishes it through an indie press and he's such a narcissist that he's like, this is what I've always deserved. And then when the Mm. book doesn't really go anywhere, he gets very bitter. And so when he's approached by this small creative writing department at this college of state, he's like, well, this is what I deserve. This is, you know, what I've always wanted. And 
his girlfriend Quinn is like, I don't know. They if someone <laughs> offers you a job, they don't like just drive down and offer it on the spot in person. They'll like send you an email or something. You know, this feels like Hollywood bullshit. Yeah. I don't know. And she's also off put by the fact that the college is in Renfield County, which uh, she has heard of, and she yeah, knows it's kind that. of a connection too. Yeah, yeah, she knows that creepy shit goes on there all the time which i think is also the fun thing just as a side note about like building your own world is that you can have as much fun with it as you want you don't have to worry about the specifics like for a while i was trying to make it very specifically placed where renfield was and i was like well if the cat skills are here at no, fuck it. I, yeah, you know, I've done uh, that with with stuff I've sat in New Mexico and I'll I'll get or in Colorado and I'll get so hung up on like what mountain range is like in <laughs> and I'm like what yeah. valley and I'm like no one cares. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and you I end an up hour just to like get some words down and I'm spending it researching mountains on Wikipedia. Right. <laughs> like, what am I, you know, <laughs> it's it's like you know, it's getting enough specificity that it feels like a real place without yeah. like getting lost in the muck. Of of like trying to justify every little thing yeah so they 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 go up to renfield together quinn is you know suspicious wants to try to piece together what the deal with renfield county is because she knows that they're being looped into their own story but cam is is just excited um and, and immediately becomes that sort of cliche horror movie husband it's all in your head you're making it up they love me like what do you want and quinn calls him out on it which i think is another sort of unique thing that i was trying to do to say like it's it's 2023 man how are we still having this conversation where you're like gaslighting me and telling me there's nothing supernatural you know that's bullshit yeah um and i still see horror narratives do that across media like in film and books and i'm just like really we still have this guy this trope (laughs) I think you do a great job with their relationship in that. And I do have to say, as I was reading, I was dealing with an eye infection as I was reading the book. And it was perfect because it was like, I was feeling everything the camp was feeling. (laughs) Even like I was getting weird goop coming out of the eye. It was like, (laughs) it was perfect. Well, I'm like half deaf and I wear contacts and, so anything where like senses are going away, I just find terrifying. Yeah. Like the idea that the other ear could go or like my vision could just get worse. Like it's all just so spooky, yeah. spooky to me. But I thought with, with them as a couple, you know, like Cam is, you're right. He's a narcissist. There's a lot about him that is unlikable. And yet you never, like I understood why, you know, as a writer, myself you know and i'm teaching in a small not creative writing program but a small film program (laughs) you know there is something you you, of course we're kind of chasing that validation a little bit you know yeah right you you know you want to prove to the people who've doubted you like no like there's someone who values what i do or what i have to say or whatever so i and i always empathized with him even when he is making some pretty questionable decisions but at the same time i was always empathizing with quinn and i thought you really set up a great like here's a couple that almost from the start is struggling yeah that they're not necessarily the best fit for each other but it's never very codependent they're very codependent but i never lost 
empathy for them and i was always sort of trying to root for them to like work it out you know like nice. um it never because i think that's a real tough line to walk where you could make them both insufferable pretty quick and they never mm-hmm. are like i i felt like i was with them from the start even cam who is very frustrating but like <laughs> he's frustrating in a very human way i think yeah yeah um, and and those are some of the people like that you know when i was younger i used to just think well you're just being an asshole and i want to pick a fight with you but as i've gotten older people like cam in my life i've come to realize that they're just the people that they are they're just characters you know yeah. and I think thinking about them that way helps me be like, oh, well, of course you said that thing because that's who you are. That's your character, you know, right. and it, right. being able to, again, seeing it with humor, I think helps strengthen those relationships. And it's yeah. tough when you're really in them. And Quinn has been in this relationship since college. And so it's it's just hard to. And I think her self-aware, you know, he's not like Cam is a pretty not self-aware person in the way that like a yeah. narcissist typically is not self-aware. Right. But, like, she is very self-aware, and she's kind of self-aware about, like, the fact that she's not with him for the best reasons. And But she also yeah. doesn't quite know what to do with that, you know? Yeah, because what's stopping her from ending this relationship and then in another five years being like, oh, shit, now I gotta break up with a different version right. of the same guy, which I think relationships sort of are cyclical like that. Like, yeah. even just friends, I've found myself like we were saying earlier like i found myself in that situation where i'm like oh shit now i've got this like guy how do i stop being friends with this guy now? right you know um, yeah because you're, you're repeating patterns yeah exactly and you're going yeah. back to what's comfortable even if it's toxic you're right. just repeating that and so quinn i think is very aware that she's in that cycle and is trying to break out of that um, not only breaking up with cam but just breaking out of herself in yeah. a way. Um, and, and I think that's a big part of, like I said, it, the book, the narrative is is among the craziest things I've read in a long time. Like, it goes awesome. to some wild, imaginative places in the way that, like, you know, the best Clive Barker books do. You know, it's yeah. just... But oh, what well, Midnight Meat Train, speaking of stories that have a an opening image oh, and an yeah. ending image that are so vastly different. I mean, right. that story for sure is one of my top yeah. that well, and, But what I feel like Barker in his best, and actually I feel like he doesn't always successfully do this, but in his best work, what makes it work is that there's something grounded in the character. So even if the world mm-hmm. is going crazy you've still got these Mm -hmm. humans in the in the middle of it yeah and that like that's i think what really makes even though work is that cam and quinn never don't feel human cool thank you even when everyone else is like maybe a monster (laughs) you know (laughs) like they they feel like these two kind of lost people just sort of doing their best you know maybe badly but you know they're they're trying you know yeah and i think that goes back to other films that were important to me when i was even younger that weren't like horror movies but something like beetlejuice which i even Mm, referenced a few times in edenville that's a good example yeah right you have the two characters who are uh grounded and human uh well they're ghosts right but alec baldwin and gina davis yeah um, and then everyone outside of that is a caricature in some way i mean even the family that moves in they're human but they're also 
but they're such big. I mean, even Lydia, there's a thing about Lydia as I've gotten older, she seems less weird to me because I've known so many people like her. <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> but at the time, you know, they're like, I am strange and unusual. You know, like, yeah. even she was like such a stylized version of like the angry goth girl, you know. Yeah. But you're right. You have these two, even though they're the ghosts, you have these two very anchored characters in the middle of it. Yeah. And, and everyone else, like the house is all at odd angles after right. Delia changes it all. And the characters are sort of at odd angles as well. Like I love that one guy, Otho, her um, yeah. like interior decorator buddy. Yeah. He's a great character, but yeah, even, even the woman who, and, and so this is, that, that's that been a big inspiring thing for me, not only for Enville, but overall that every character has a bit, even the woman who comes to like her, their caseworker or whatever, who comes to help them. She has the slit across her throat. And so when she's right. smoking a cigarette, the smoke right. comes out of her neck, like even just having a simple bit like that for every character who's dispensing information so that it, all the exposition you get is sort of smoke and mirrors behind something that you can look at and engage with well like you you have that with the librarians who you know they do have yeah. names but quinn thinks of them as like glasses and spider because like <laughs> the one librarian yeah. is like has like 15 different glasses on her head like <laughs> Yeah, the other... which got a big laugh from the old ladies yesterday by the <laughs> yeah, way they nice. liked that part <laughs> Well, I, that made me think of my dad because my dad always has four different like levels of readers, you know, hanging off of oh, the yeah, string. Yeah. But like, and then the other librarian has this little tiny spider dangling off of her glasses. Yeah. And it's just like such a weird, like now that you say it, I, I was thinking Guillermo del Toro, but now that you say it, I can see like mm. Tim Burton in there too. Yeah. Um, well, del Toro stuff I always love. I just rewatched um, Crimson Peak. Oh, yeah. And again the i mean i'm a big sucker for a really interesting set which i guess also should be no surprise to anyone who's read Edenville. Yeah. um but uh that the house in crimson peak is just it's, it's an incredible. amazing character yeah. in and of itself yeah well um, you have some imagery towards the end that definitely i think feels fairly del toro and i don't want to say too much more than yeah. that because i really don't want to spoil it but there was some <laughs> well, stuff that like that felt like I would not be if Del Toro did an adaptation of Edenville, I could just see him like turning his mind loose on some of that imagery. <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets pretty monster mashy at the end. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think you know, not to spoil Edenville, but I think that something about places being characters in and of themselves right. always necessitates some kind of arc for that character and i think that the one misstep in crimson peak this is a minor spoiler for this eight-year-old movie <laughs> is uh that the house doesn't burn down or get destroyed in some way yeah and i just yeah. like as the second like glass onion last year when they walk inside that glass onion i was like this thing has to explode by the end right of the movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> and when it did i was like oh thank god it's so satisfying um, right yeah, I don't know why that is, but I just find that that dates back to old God. I mean, Dracula's castle gets right. sucked into the ground, right? Well, it's um, follow the House of Usher. Yes, yeah. The house collapses um, at the end. Both yeah, in the I don't know series and why. in the uh, original story. Yeah, <laughs> and, and spoilers for a 150-year-old story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I mean, if, if you're going to yell at me about spoiling something that's literally called The Fall of the, the House of Usher. Of <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I do want I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do want to talk. So, as always, I asked you to recommend the movie. And you yes. uh, recommended the movie Triangle, which oh, I had yeah. seen, but I hadn't seen it in a while. So, I rewatched it. And I mean, it's actually crazier than I remember remembered it being on rewatch it's brilliant i was i rewatched it last night and from the jump from the first image i was like oh my god yeah Uh, well and it and it you know you mentioned that it has some resonance with edenville that you were kind of like pulling a little bit from it but one thing that i thought beyond just like any narrative elements going back to what i was saying is like you have some crazy twists in edenville but they all feel earned everything feels set up Mm. nothing feels like just a wild left turn that's arbitrary and uh triangle to me is so perfectly that way where every single twist or surprise has been set up by an earlier image that may be like completely innocuous but then like when it's revealed what it actually means it's mind-blowing so do you want to kind of just set up what the movie is for people who haven't seen it yeah i mean god you gotta go in as blind as possible yeah and i would say definitely like we should avoid spoilers because for people who haven't seen it they really need to like go in blind yeah and i the first time i saw it i i put it on um i think i watched coherence first have you seen coherence oh yeah yeah that's another really great mind bendy experience um so highly recommend that one as well but i think i watched that with a buddy and then we were like well shit let's like what else can we put on and just googling like (laughs) what is like coherence um (laughs) and triangle came up so triangle it starts with this woman she's got a son who's having like night terrors or something he's on the spectrum and something's going on with him and it's very upsetting to her and she is going sailing for a day with some friends and she you know is sort of like out of them and we don't know why but you know the they all get on the sailboat big storm washes the boat over now they're stranded and a huge cruise ship comes up alongside the boat and they're like we're saved but when they get on the cruise ship it's totally empty except for ghosts or another person yeah and then it becomes sort of a supernatural slasher on a boat but again, right. it, it, that's, that's just... That's just the setup. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it turns into something that's so... And it's, you know, those those mind-bending movies, I always feel like they either work or they don't. Like, the movies... Yeah. You know, and even, like, you know, my movie, I was... It's somewhat of a mind-bending movie. And I will say, like, for some people it works and some people it doesn't, you know. Yeah, but that's how you know you're onto something. Because yeah. I think Eatonville, the response has been the same way. People hit a yeah. certain point where they're like, the fuck? Or they're really... <laughs> right (laughs) and i feel and i feel like like i've seen movies like triangle that are that are trying to do a similar playing with reality playing with time kind of you know thing and it's like what people always joke around about like time travel movies is it's like once you start examining Mm -hmm. the rules of a time travel movie they always kind of fall apart yeah but i feel like with triangle it all just kind of works and not everything is explained which is right. part of what makes it work, I think, is they leave a lot of room for mystery of like 
even when it's kind of revealed what's going on, there are certain things, there's there's surreal elements that, that still are, are questioned. Yeah, but there are the images in there, I think, were what really sparked my imagination in terms of all the Jop Yannigan stuff. Yeah. Um, the Jop Yannigan stuff I've been thinking about for a long time. And... Which, again, we should say is, like, that's one of the, I would, I, without, again, not wanting to spoil anything, but it's one of the more fantastical elements of Edenville is the Jop Yannigan stuff. Yeah, and I have a friend who just read it and loved it and, like, has all these questions for me about Jap Yannigan. I'm like, gosh, I don't know, man. These are great questions. You're going to inspire, like, a whole other <laughs> series of novels here. <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, he really engaged with it. But, yeah, so some of the images in Triangle, like, the when she has the locket and looks down into the grate. Yes. That is terrifying to me and when the redheaded lady is crawling away like has been stabbed or whatever yeah crawls into the corner that too is just i think one of the most brilliant images in a horror movie i've ever seen yeah um, that that's it, that's the image that sticks in my mind the most but i yeah. but on a rewatch actually it's there's a i'll just say there's a pile of dead birds at one point that like <laughs> The implication yeah. of it is what is so terrifying. Yeah, and and the knowledge that you are so screwed, like yeah. you are gazing into something that has its claws deep in you, that you have tried to escape many countless really times. Be no way out. Yeah. Yeah. And also just the bit near the end with the hammer when the music sort of comes oh, out yeah. and it's quiet and she just bink like that is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, all of that sort of stuff really inspired the more fantastical elements in Edenville. And I think it's just a sort of an unsung film. I think like I know a lot of people who have seen it and love it, but a lot of people also have never even heard of it. So yeah, it's definitely like it's an under the radar movie. I remember watching it probably five, six years ago, maybe a little more than that, because the movie's from 2009. I saw it well after the movie came out. I remember I was just on my laptop going through this is back when it was still iTunes movies, I think. Just going through like what are the horror movies on iTunes? And it was just one of the ones that popped up. And I remember I the, the image was just, it's like the poster image of her with like a white background and she's standing there. And I, and I was like, oh, I think I recognize that actress who her name's Melissa George. Um, right. What else is she in? I was trying to remember. I don't even remember. Yeah. But she looked familiar. I, just, I had to look her up. And so I was like, oh, what's this? You know, just, you know, sort yeah. of that simple. And then I watched the trailer and was like, okay, what, wait, wait a minute. What, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah. It's... And then, you know, and then watched the movie just kind of on a whim and uh, was just completely blown away. And it's a thing like, you know, I've said uh, about like, you know, people point to movies like Aronofsky's Black Swan. Oh, um, sure. Which which is like, and I, I do love uh, a lot of Aronofsky's stuff, but yeah. I but like Black Swan is one of those movies that to me, it's like, it's trying so hard to be mind-bendy that it kind of gets in its mm. own way a little bit. With triangle, it's it's almost like you don't realize that it's bending your brain until it's like already happened. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that everything needs to be 
one-to-one i i see a lot of psychological horror movies that just throw a bunch of like mind bendy elements in there to have a lot of mind bendy elements but in Mm. triangle every weird thing you see ends up meaning something else everything is used and i think that's the difference because your every sentence is giving information to the reader or the viewer and so if you have all these sentences that the reader or viewer is keeping in their head and by the end they don't mean anything well now i'm pissed because i spent this mental energy remembering these things that didn't add up to anything but in triangle it all adds up and loops back and i think it really rewards viewers who are paying attention because you're able to piece it together there's something about triangle that almost has the feel of like so it's like the difference between like david lynch and christopher nolan you know like like there's david lynch where it's like you go into a david lynch movie and it's like it's not gonna make sense you know it's there's gonna be a lot that's surreal a lot of it that's very impressionistic and like i would say for anyone who's watched my uh, movie dead billy like i was much more i think pulling from the david lynch school in some ways which is why some people have found it frustrating because it's like there there are a lot of like open open-ended stuff in that where uh people have asked me well what does this mean and i'm like i don't know you know well you know what i think is a good balance and i meant to bring this up when you were talking about short stories earlier but i just read um lily bet lollipop um, (laughs) that's one uh, that's one of my newer ones and i'm pretty proud of that one (laughs) yeah it like just came out and i was like i gotta check this out so uh because i knew we'd be talking so i was like well let me read some of his but uh, I think you do the balance really well there between elements that um, are remain mysterious by the end, but then a lot of elements come together. Like you have, I think one character even says like, well, what was the deal with the dogs? And then at the end, when the dogs come out, yeah. like, oh, here we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that is, I love the lore in that one. Wow, um, thank you. And the way that you captured the way the video game looks and sort of feels because a lot of those older video games feel sort of purgatorial in general like you're not working yeah. towards anything that um, was my that was my inspiration for it so so the story it's it's in a anthology from Phobica books called terrors from the toy box and it's all about like cursed toys or cursed games or whatever so which Mine like is, uh, no further questions already yeah. sold. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so with that, I don't want to say spoil it, but like mine is a it's an old eight bit like kind of Nintendo style video game, like eighties style video game that is not yeah. exactly what it seems. But a big part of the inspiration was remembering some of those old Atari games and how like endless they were. It was just this endless yeah. loop. And, like, you're right, it's very purgatorial. You're stuck in this weird, like, liminal space in these games. In a way that, like, modern video games, which are so narrative, really aren't, you know, that way. And you had to be up on the lore. Like, you do a good job, too, of saying, like, well, if you hadn't read the magazine ad or the manual that came with the game, there are elements that wouldn't make, like, you wouldn't know the snake's name. Right. You know, things like that. Whereas now in games, like I'm halfway through Callisto Protocol, which is a like serviceable dead space knockoff that I'm enjoying, but never want to play again. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's decent, you know. Yeah. Um, it It's so different from that experience. Like everything is sort of hand fed to you. You feel like you're in this game environment and everything's explained. And, um, you know, video games have just changed so yeah. much. So 
I don't know. I, I just love that story. I just wanted to say I thought it was a really fun time. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you. I, I was pretty like that was that was of the recent stories I've written. That was one of the ones I had the most fun writing, and it's had I a good tell. it's had a good response from people. So I'm I'm pretty proud of it. Um, but what I was gonna, you know, it's like I like playing with a lot of surrealism, and so and sometimes I get myself into trouble where I will write something, and I'm like, this actually just doesn't add up. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there's just like weird shit that like doesn't quite go anywhere you know yeah but like triangle and so that to me is like the david lynch thing you know and it's sure you know and i even feel that way about david lynch i love some david lynch movies and then there are a couple that i'm like what why why did i watch like why did i sit there for three hours you know (laughs) i i adore mulholland drive yeah that's been another hugely influential movie for me but Eraserhead, I just have no interest in. Um, yeah, Eraserhead, I I appreciate the imagery. Yeah, but but it's an, it leaves me pretty cold. But then like Blue Velvet, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, like, yeah, Wild at Heart, like these are some of my favorites. But then I watched Inland Empire and was like, I don't know what the fuck this is. So it's like, <laughs> oh my God. yeah, I felt the same. Those fucking yeah. rabbits and everything. It was right. like, I don't know. But I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan as well. Oh so yeah, it's, it's a nice balance that... between. Things, yeah. yeah. But I feel like a movie like Triangle in some ways is almost a little bit more in the Christopher Nolan school of mm-hmm. like, it's a puzzle. And like, yes. there are pieces you can put together. Yeah. And it all locks in in this kind of much more cohesive way. And it, like I said, it still leaves some room for mystery. It's like, it's a puzzle where like maybe three of the pieces are still missing at the end. But you can kind of see yeah. the image that it's creating. Yeah. And like, I'm always so impressed with things like that because it's not something I can really write. Like I don't have an analytical <laughs> <Yeah>. enough brain <laughs> to to be able to like construct something like that. Yeah, I the thing I'm working on now, the second book in the Renfield County world or the the second uh-huh. novel in that world is about a town, like a full town getting sucked into this thing and just keeping all the characters in mind and i'm trying to keep them as flat as possible like yeah the principal of the high school just has one bit and so every time he shows up he just does that bit um (laughs) so that's that's been that's been helpful but thinking of adding to this some kind of murder mystery like not only being able to keep track of all these characters but also to be like here's enough clues to have red herrings and like who done it like i could never do that yeah i've i've never tried to write a mystery and i don't know that i ever will because i feel the same thing i just to keep it all straight and to have it all add up and to build in a way where it's like you can you can see the puzzle getting put together i do think that takes a particular type of almost like an engineer's brain in some way yeah Yeah. and and i'm always like you know sometimes i've watched something like even some some of the christopher nolan stuff it feels too constructed and i can get Mm. frustrated because then it feels like the puzzle is the entire point what what is great about triangle is that it has that puzzle box feel to it it has that you know there is there's a mystery that you can solve but the emotional heart of the movie is about a mother struggling with her duties with this special needs son it almost 
Yeah. Like it almost has more in common with something like the Babadook than it does. Yeah, you you start to realize that, and, and I think that with movies like that, where it's you know it's a supernatural slasher on a boat or whatever, right? Um, it's easy to gloss over a lot of those character motivations, which I say in Edenville too. Like it doesn't matter what you want, Jason's coming for you anyway. Right. Uh, you spend the first half hour of the movie being like, "I'm so glad I got into college," or like. Crispin right. Glover is trying to get laid or whatever. Doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so it's easy, I think, with Triangle's first half to ignore some of that emotional motivation. To just right. be like, fine, he's just a horror movie eight-year-old. Like, I don't care particularly. But then by the end, you realize that it's the emotional drive. It's why the movie happens. Exactly. And I think that also makes the difference for me between movie like that and a movie like Eraserhead where the emotions don't necessarily play a role in the driving force of the story like yeah. it's more about the images and what's weird about Eraserhead where because that was in some ways that's his David Lynch's most autobiographical film because it was about his like terror of being a father he had just had a yeah. baby yeah and you would think like some of that genuine human emotion would have made its way in there because i feel like it does in some of his other movies but it does yeah. not in Eraserhead. and like i said i can appreciate Eraserhead as like an object yeah but as a story yeah. with an emotional journey no it doesn't there's nothing there it, yeah it doesn't do it for me compared to something like twin peaks especially right. in the return some of those more like really bizarre out there episodes like the black and white episode i think still play a tangible enough role in the mythos that i can kind of like okay i get about 70 percent of this and i think right. that's enough to understand the emotional core uh like where this is coming from and where this is going and and even like firewalk with me it's all about yeah. her it's all about amanda um or not amanda what's what's her name laura laura palmer, laura palmer right it's, it's yeah it's been a minute but <laughs> nerds are screaming right now how I could know, you do a fake geek like, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> but it's all about laura palmer and so right. everything that's sort of bizarre and supernatural happening around that is just because she's losing her mind to these forces that she doesn't even understand yeah no i i are... i'm a defender of firewalk with me i think it has i mean it's got some of the typical problems with where David Lynch's stuff can kind of spin out of control, but that's almost what you want from a David Lynch movie, you know? But I yeah. think it does have that emotional core of, like, you know, watching her world fall apart. And, and that's what, for me, you know, probably my favorite Lynch film is probably Blue Velvet. Mm. You know, Blue Velvet, yeah, there's a lot of crazy, weird stuff that happens in that movie, but to me, it's fundamentally a story about a guy who's in over his head. Like, yes, yeah. And, like, we can all empathize with that, where it's like, you meet somebody <laughs> who gets you into trouble, and you don't know how to yep. Whether it's a, a hot French lady or <laughs> somebody else, you know. Right. <laughs> exactly. So tell us kind of what you're working on now. You mentioned you've got another Renfield County novel. Like, when, yeah. when can we expect that? You've got the collection coming out in 2025. Collection will come out in early 2025 at some point. Um, that's mostly in the can. We're, we're in like copy edits now. Cool. So the large bulk of my like writing work on that is done and then yeah i'm about a third of the way through this second novel which i'm enjoying so far it's it's been a lot of work like i said balancing all those characters um sure but 
I think ultimately it'll be really epic and cool in a way that feels maybe a bit more contained than Edenville. So I think the people who have lost in the larger cosmological stuff of Edenville will feel a bit more grounded in this one. Interesting. So even though it has its own mythology and its own zaniness, it it's uh, it all takes place on Earth. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. It'll be um, sort of a mutilation cult story um, with oh, monsters. Well, um, I'm already sold. So you have me in mutilation. Cult. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like people feeding themselves to creatures piece by piece they they get convinced that the some of the wild pigs that live in the woods are they have these like special enzymes in their gut that are able to take Mm. human flesh and like transform it into whatever you wish for so if you feed your hand to one of them and be like i want this to be pumpkin seeds then they'll shit out a bunch of like (laughs) pumpkin seeds just in this like magic fertilizer poop Um, (laughs) which i think is like also sort of indicative of how i write because initially i was like well i want this to be sort of a secret lab underground like someone's engineering these creatures and whatever but then i was like i'm not gonna look up like fucking crispr biological (laughs) like shit it's let's let's make it something magic so that i don't have to work (laughs) well that sounds that sounds awesome so when is that when do you uh, imagine that um i'm hoping um that we can have that come out in fall 2025 and then okay. we'll just do a book a year awesome so yeah, we're right. we're working on it with uh my editor you know once i get a full draft of it we'll we'll pitch it to her and but she's she's already we've talked about it a bit and she seems really positive about it so we're fingers awesome. crossed but i think that's awesome. about all i can say for now well cool man well this has been great um thanks for hopping on and talking to me i'd love to have you back on down oh my the gosh. Road. yeah that'd be great this was so much fun thank you for chatting with me we chatted about so many things i didn't even expect to talk about it yeah. blair witch to high school memories like this was a really <laughs> good time man yeah yeah no, this was a lot of fun and hopefully uh, we've seen each other twice at uh, StokerCon. So hopefully maybe I'll see you out there yeah. next year. I'll be in San Diego for sure. I have not made my plans yet. <laughs> I need to like okay. get off my ass and make some plans. But <laughs> um, I got to look at what else is out there too. Because I just sort of started doing the con thing last year. And uh-huh. StokerCon was like the only one I had sort of heard of. So now I'm like, well, I could go to Merrimack or you know, the econ or, you know, this, that, or the other. So I'm, I'm going to start branching out more. But. Yeah. I, I hear really good things about the author cons. Yeah. You should come. I had, I had a great time at KillerCon, uh, but KillerCon is pretty specifically mm-hmm. sort of splatterpunk yeah. focused, which was funny because I'm not really, you know, that's not exactly what I do, but it was fun going and meeting all those people and hanging out with them. So <laughs> um, there are some good, and then uh, like I was just at Spooky Empire in uh, Orlando, which is a big fan con, but they have the creators yeah, track, which great. is kind of focused on writers and stuff. And that was a lot of fun too. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. I'm, I'm going to, uh, bizarro con next month oh uh, that's in uh, portland is that correct yes yeah which which more than anything was a nice excuse to go to portland because i love it out there yeah but it'll be fun i don't really know anything about the con but it seems like the hotel it's at has some very fancy amenities like cool restaurants and a hot tub and honestly 
if there's a hot tub involved, I'm <laughs> you're there. Sold. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I know I've, I've talked to some people who've been to that con, and that one's supposed to be a lot of fun too. And I think Edenville fits like it's definitely bizarre enough. I think it, it kind of fits in the bizarre world. So I think you'll yeah you'll fit right in there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny. It's it's been like you know like we were saying uh, you're the weird kid and now i've got this book out there and at first i was like yeah fuck you guys I, my book is out and then people started calling the book weird and i was like no how can i still <laughs> it's <still a> weird <laughs> uh, yeah but i'm happy to be the i mean it's it's been really nice hearing everyone else who yeah. has engaged with just how weird it is it's been really really cool wow. so thank you for being one of those i loved it thank yeah. you yeah, I loved it. I can't recommend it enough. I'm looking forward to to the collection and the next book in the series. So, um, thanks, yeah. Uh, well, thanks, thanks a lot for coming on, and yeah, we'll talk soon. Oh, thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you very much to Sam Rebelin for coming on the show, and for all you listeners, don't forget to give me a five star review. Uh, go ahead and subscribe. Tell your friends. Post on social media, and I'll be back with you again in a couple weeks.